Hi. Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, Leah Hextall breaks down what happened to the Winnipeg Jets, why they weren't able to get the playoff series win, and what happens now. What does the future hold? Plus, a look ahead to what's coming up in the CFL and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Kelly Moore is off to Florida. Is there going to be a CBA, though, in the next month? That's on the podcast. All right, we are joined, as we always are on Mondays, by Leah Hextall, and it's a very different feeling this Monday, Leah, as the Jets are done. There is a sense of finality, and I guess just five really close games and then a sixth game where the Jets just didn't really show up until it was too late. Your just quick takeaways from that uh, the first round and out for the Jets. Well, I think that's something that really needs to be focused in on is actually how close this series really was, Christian. I mean, this was a one-goal series for most of it. It was a hard-fought series by both teams. You can't take away, and I know this is a cliche and you always hear players say it, but you can't take anything away from St. Louis. This is, besides Tampa, the second-hottest team in the National Hockey League coming into the playoffs, and they played like a contender. I mean, I'm just sitting here looking at the bracket right now, and I'm thinking to myself and looking at where St. Louis stands, and as you just mentioned, Dallas and Nashville getting underway. You have the Avalanche waiting in the wings as they come out of their series, and then you're looking at a Game 7 between San Jose and Vegas, And when I look at this Blues team, there's nothing in me that doesn't think that the team I just saw take down Winnipeg could go all the way to the Stanley Cup final. I don't know how you feel, but I feel that they were that good. So I look at game five, and I really think that that was obviously, you know, one that got away. It was a heartbreaking loss, and there was something about it that after that happened, that I feel that the momentum that it didn't end after that game and it carried into game six and the Jets just didn't have a response. And and I think that's what's a little unsettling for me, Christian, is that the response came so late in that game. I mean, 15 minutes left in the third period, they went down three, nothing. Connor Hellebuck stood on his head and held them into that game, gave them the chance to win And they all just were quiet on the bench and looking out on the ice as if there was no answers. And that presents more questions to me about the Jets and what's needed this offseason. So the body language doctor didn't like what she saw. She didn't. And I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, this is a quiet room and it is a quiet bench. They don't have, as much as Blake Wheeler is a phenomenal leader in the way in which he plays and he drives the bus and he shows what it takes to be a player game in and game out and what you need to do in the offseason, he's not that raw, raw figure. I think we all know that about Blake Wheeler. We've seen his post-game comments. He's not the guy who's going to sit there and get the team going. And last year, that guy who was really good at it was Paul Stasny. And Paul Stasny, because not only was he a strong player in the second liner, he was also a veteran player who's kind of been there, done that, and players listened to that. And he was that voice during the game. I mean, the Jets themselves said that they targeted Matt Hendricks because they were missing something within their room this year. But the issue with Matt Hendricks is it doesn't matter how great of a leader he is if he's not playing, if he's not in the trenches, which he wasn't. He wasn't a player in that game, so he can't get everybody going. But I didn't like the body language. I didn't like the response. And I don't think that it's just, oh, they just played better than us that game. I think that there needs to be, with all the changes that will come in this offseason, that they need to go and target one or two players 
that have game left in them, have veteran qualities, and who are those types of glue guys? Because, listen, we saw it with the Washington Capitals. 2010, they win the President's Trophy with 121 points. They get knocked out by the eighth seed, the Montreal Canadiens. From all those years, they were a team that was expected to contend, 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 and they couldn't get it together until last year when Ovechkin finally adapted his individual game to be a part of the team. And the entire team bought in. And I think that was missing a little bit this year with the Jets because you have, what, almost 15 contracts that need something to be done with them. And guys were fighting for jobs. So they're fighting for numbers. They're fighting for time on ice. And I just feel that there was a lot of individual performances out there and perhaps missing a little bit of that team unity and that will to win for each other that we saw perhaps last season. Blake Wheeler kind of alluded to that a little bit earlier today, talking about how the, that same dangerous quality to their play wasn't there this year. And to your point about the contract, that is an interesting one. And so let's get to it. They have 12 players under contract for next year. They've got what's probably going to be, we don't know the cap yet, but it's probably going to be around $27 million to spend for those the rest of the team, basically, they can bring up Mason Appleton and uh, Christian Veselainen, perhaps that'll save them some money. But in terms of who they have right now, that needs a contract for next year. Who is for sure you think lower on the priority list for Kevin Sheveldayoff? So that's a really interesting question because I literally am looking right now at the list because there's so many players after the trade deadline that I wrote all of them out who are UFAs and RFAs. And I'm looking at this right now. And I think, you know, every time I go to one and I think, well, you know, they don't really know this guy. Now, even, you know, you could sit there and say, take Par Lindholm, for instance, they get him at the trade deadline. He's going to be, he is a UFA come July 1st, but he played really well for them when they needed him to step in. And so even the guys that, you know, and then you look at Hendricks. I mean, Matt Hendricks, he's not a player that can really keep up anymore, but if they don't go out and get somebody in the room, do they feel they need to keep them? Um, you know, there's, I, I look at all these names and there's not a lot that I look at and think are low priority, but I know they're going to have to go away. And I think the one that really stands out to me is Brandon Tanev. I mean, this is a guy that I want 23 Brandon Tanev on my roster. I know that he's not the most skilled player on the ice, but he, every time he steps onto the ice, something occurs. And he's also good on the defensive side of the puck, but making over just over a million, you know that there's going to be a team out there that's willing to pay for him more. So do you even go into discussions with him? You know, because what's the point if you need to get some of your big boys signed? Um, it's just, I, it, it really is. I think Kevin Shovel day off, he's going to, first of all, make his money this season. This is a very tough call. And the more and more I look at all these names, one, it's very clear that there's going to be a tremendous amount of change. And I think, I don't know if you had, if the you know listeners had a chance to see it today, but at the year end press conferences, you could see in all the players body language that this was a tough day, not only because they weren't playing anymore, but because they're saying goodbye to each other because this room I think is going to drastically change. And I, I really don't have the answers for what Kevin shovel is going to do. He's done pretty much the right move at every corner since he was brought yeah. in. The draft and develop has done very well, but what we're seeing this off season is something different than what we've seen in the past. This is a new challenge for Chevy and we assume he's going to make the right moves, but 
what if he doesn't? And there are some no-brainers. For instance, Kyle Connor and Patrick Laine, they're going to be Jets next year. Just how creative can Sheffield Dayoff get with the contracts for them? Is it a given that they're going to be bridge deals, you think? I don't know if it's a given. I mean, there's a part of me, and you know, when you say that, we'll have to see what Kevin Sheveldayoff does. Yes, we will have to see what the general manager does. But you have to remember, too, it, this isn't just about him. This is what's the other side going to do. And what are they going to demand? And what are they going to want? And this dance is going to start. And you heard him say today, we are immediately getting on this because they have so much work to do. But, you know, the creativity that, Sheveldayoff has been known for his ability to kind of craft this roster and go out and get the Stasny trade last year and all these moves that you alluded to that have done so well. This is what happens when you become a contender. This is what happens when you become a contender in the cap era. And when I look at this, I don't really know how you get creative. I think this has to be more cutthroat. I think he has to look and say, this is who has to get done and everybody under the line I'm just going to, I'm not even going to pay attention to, and I'm just going to get these guys done. And I think for the Jets this season, they will focus solely on the likes of Line A and Connor. And, you know, let's see what happens with Truba, because I don't think that circumstance is going to play out very well. I don't really expect to see him back, but get those players done. And then if some of the pieces are still around, then maybe he can bring some other players back if they haven't gone on and negotiated. Because while he's trying to lock these players up in line A and Connor and some other key pieces, you know that the camps for the other players are going to have to start going to work. And he's going to have to make decisions very quickly to those agents and say, do what you want to do because I don't think he's coming back. So this is likely going to get sorted out real quick, I think. We rarely see it in the NHL. Is there any risk of an offer sheet? For any of the young players. You know what? This, I think, Christian, if we, you're, you're right, we do rarely see it. It's kind of one of those things that's frowned upon, as we know, in the NHL. But it is an option. And I think this year, and I've heard some other, you know, people say this. I think this year could be the year we see an offer sheet. Because there are a lot of RFAs out there that, because of the cap, teams are not going to be able to keep. And, um, you know, the Jets themselves, when you look at their RFAs, could be a prime ticket team for a team to come out of the woodworks and do. But, you know, it's a big, bold move to do it. But uh, I think if there's any year we could see it, it, it maybe could be this one. Ooh, that would be that would make it a little <laughs> more spicy, wouldn't it? Well, it puts it puts, you know, right there. What it does is it puts pressure on, you know, if somebody comes out, and there's no traction on Line or Connor, and we don't know what's going on, and, or, or even Jacob Truba for that matter, and somebody comes and throws it out there, it puts the pressure on the Jets automatically that they have to make a decision. And so it's one way to get things done, I guess, but uh, it's, um, you know, it, it's not the best thing. It puts a lot of pressure on the team if somebody comes and does that, that offer sheet. And, you know, when you look at just Truba, Line and Connor alone, those are three very talented young players that are not all going to be able to be kept. So with the Jets out, I guess it's time to turn our attention to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, right? Well, their mini camp is coming up. Yeah. This week in Florida, Kelly Moore, he'll be there Wednesday and Thursday. He'll be providing updates throughout the day. He'll be coming on the show. Both nights he's there. 
And normally we'd say, ah, oh, Kelly gets to go to Florida. No fair. But it's actually been really nice here. So it's actually not so bad. Bradenton, Florida. So tomorrow there's like a play-in free agent camp. Uh, the event leads into the mini camp at IMG Academy Wednesday and Thursday. Kyle Walters will be on the show kind of tomorrow. Kelly Moore taping an interview with him that will run on the show. You'll hear it uh, as well. Kyle Walters telling BlueBombers.com, though, today that the ultimate goal is to make sure the best players come to Winnipeg for training camp. Roughly 40 players down there fighting for 20 contracts. They'll have to reduce their roster to 75 players by April 30th. And a lot of receivers and defensive backs down at this camp. So that's this week. Rookie camp is May 15th and 17th. Bombers main camp, May 19th to 30th. That is if they can figure out the collective bargaining agreements. Confirming today the league and the players union that talks will confirm next week, Monday and Tuesday in Toronto. That's what we learned after they last met April 9th. Well, the next day, Brian Ramsey, the executive director of the PA, told reporters, uh, guess what? We're not going to talk to them for a while because the CFL said, ah, we got other priorities to take care of before we could continue this. Well, May 18th, that's the day. Training camp scheduled to open the following day. So the union is telling players, yeah, don't go to camp unless we got a CBA. And players are saying, okay, that's fine. They're not going to work past May 18th unless a new deal was agreed upon as non-monetary items are still being talked about. They still have to get to the money. Show me the money. Mike Riley posted this video on his Twitter account this weekend on the importance of unity. I'm Mike Riley. I play quarterback for the BC Lions. I attended college at Central Washington University in Washington State. This season will be my 10th year in the CFL, and I've been playing football since I was six years old. The reason that I love football is because it is truly the ultimate team game. In order to be successful, you need every single person on your team and coaching staff pulling in the same direction, and that's what makes our sport great. I have confidence in our bargaining team at the CFLPA for multiple reasons. The first being they're prepared. They've spent multiple years getting prepared for this negotiation, and secondly, because they've talked to the membership. They know what we want, and they put our priorities at the top. To me, fair treatment and respect from the CFL is treating the players as if we're partners because that's what we are. We're all invested in this game. We all want to see the best for it. We all want to see it grow. Uh, so treating us as somebody that's a partner to build on instead of just a commodity. It's important for us at the CFLPA to be a team, to be united, because that's how we're strong. And that's the only way that we're going to get real change done and become a partner with the league is if we stand united as one. So I've seen reports that uh, the CFLPA will hold a strike vote this week. Doesn't really mean that a strike is imminent if players voted overwhelmingly in favor, which I kind of expect them to. This is just what happens in collective bargaining. They show solidarity and they provide the bargaining committee with a mandate as a sign that the membership is serious. It's just how it works. Now, the union still wants to get a fair deal. Ramsey saying today that they already have a clear mandate. This vote is to satisfy provincial legislation and the various labor codes across the country. What has not changed is the player's desire to seek a CBA prior to the start of the season. We have stated on the record, we are available at any time to meet with the CFL, whose position, Ramsey said, has been 
extremely aggressive and unnecessary, including withholding our members' 2019 salaries to date. I remember talking to Brandy Ambrosi about that when he was in town, and he said that was not his call. That was the previous ownership or previous commissioner, and it was already into the CBA, and they couldn't change that. So take that for what you will, but this doesn't feel like it's going to end well. But a lot of times, I think like eight times out of ten, you could probably say with these work stoppages in sports, that they are decided kind of in the 11th and 10th hour, right up to the end. They'll figure it out. I think they'll figure it out for sure. It just, it's a little frosty right now. And players of note, it's not just the rank and file, of course. It's Riley, as you heard, and Bo Levi has spoken out. Andrew Harris, James Wilder Jr., Ted Laurent, Odell Willis. So, we will wait and see. Check out the CJOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. with Christian O'Mell and the Sports Show Podcast. Not available on iTunes, not available on Google Podcasts, not available anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Yes.